Welcome to the Success with God and Psych podcast, where it's all about a purpose-driven life where God and psychology mix together and guide your way. And now, your host who's funny, informative, and a straight shooter, doing this so you have a better life, Dr. Jessica Kersner. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You know what I like to say? There's no better day than today for blessings, impact, and purpose. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the testimony, your your story, telling your story, giving your testimony of what you've been through. In life, we have hurts, we have pain, we have experiences that we go through. And sometimes we keep those to ourselves, even when we've overcome them and they become part of the past and we're saying, okay, I've moved past that. But there is power in sharing your story with someone, there is a way we honor God and we worship him by passing that message on to someone else. And today that's what we're going to do. I have a listener uh, and a follower on Instagram named Rick Peterson. And Rick has had an interesting life to say the least. And he has a story he wants to tell. And so we're going to use this platform so that Rick can tell his story and he can help others and he can by way of telling his stories help himself help others to feel connected help others to get empowered and also to worship God and exalt him with his story and so there's a song I like called we exalt thee and it starts off by saying I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And then it proceeds to say, we exalt, we exalt thee, I love you, Lord. And, you know, you would hear that initially. People think that means when I sing and I, I sing praises unto God. And yes, it has that meaning. But you also worship God by telling your story, by lifting your voice to share what you've been through. and. Um, Rick and I have been conversing online for a while and I said, Rick, you know, I really, really think that your story can be impactful for many people. And there was no hesitation from him. And he has such a fire and such a life about him. And when you hear the things that he has gone through, I mean, it amazes me the strength that he has, that in his life that he has gotten this far um, by himself with just the help of I me. Mean, you can't help but see the hand of God on his life. And you can't help but see the strength that sometimes I think that he doesn't even realize that he had. And so without saying any more, we are going to jump into that. And so next you will hear me after the break, come back with Rick Peterson, uh, hailing all the way from Philadelphia. And Rick, I think you guys will like him. And so we will start that right after the break. Everybody, so this is Rick Peterson. Um, we're going to be listening to Rick today tell his story. And um, he's had some struggles he's had to overcome and uh, just some things that have happened in life. And I think his story is so important and it can help many, many of you. And so we're going to, I'm going to let Rick just dive in and then, uh, We'll just start. Does that sound good to you, Rick? That sounds great, Doctor. It sounds great. <laughs> so tell me, um, tell us okay. about, uh, 
tell me, uh, so tell me about just, just your, your life story. You, you know, you've said before, you've had some things that happened in the past to some people you love and you've had your own struggles. Um, so whichever one you want to start with, let's start there. Okay. Um, you can hear me good. I can hear you. Perfect. Okay, cool. Cause I can hear you well too. Okay. Um, um, well, my name's Rick, obviously. Um, I, I was, um, I was adopted at an early age. Um, I was with my parents, my birth parents, um, till I was about five and maybe six. And then I was put into foster care. Um, while I was in foster care, um, I mean, I, I'm going to speak frankly and honestly about what happened. Um, there was a lot of abuse while I was there. Um, it was back in, I'm 50 now. Okay. So it was back, it was back in the seventies. Um, when I was in there and it was outside of Philadelphia and, um, there was a lot of sexual abuse, physical abuse. Um, you could hear like girls screaming at night, getting raped. Um, you could, uh, you know, I used to be tied in the chairs and cut with razors, um, beaten a lot. Um, and my roommate too, uh, you know, they would switch nights. Like this lady would come in and she would get me and then the other night she would get my roommate. Um, yeah, they would do some pretty bad stuff. Um, and I was in there for, I guess, roughly two years. So I, I went in when I was six about, I got out roughly eight. I was adopted, um, by two college professors. Um, a woman that was head of the history department at Temple for mm -hmm. about 30 years and a guy that worked at Swarthmore College for the history department. And so very bright people, very smart, very motivated. You know, you would figure it would be a great environment and it, it wasn't. Um, but I was a pretty damaged kid too. You know, it, it took time for me to learn that over the years, like to look back and say like, you know, um, they had some issues. I had some issues. I was a very hard kid to raise. I was very angry. I was hurt. I really wanted my mom back. Me and my mom were very tight. Me and my dad were not tight. He wasn't even in the picture, really. Uh, but I missed my mom a lot. But the people that adopted me um, did everything that they could to sever any kind of ties or emotional feelings uh, about my mom. They took uh, things that I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ask me something. Um, they took a lot of... Um, like little few possessions that I destroyed them all. Um, ruined, like, like I had, I was really in the comic books. Uh, tell my mom taught me to read basically. Um, and they took them and burned them up <laughs> in a frying pan, like real weird stuff. Um, and so when I hit about, um, I think 11, I was already showing real signs of violence. Um, I, I, I was hard to control. Um, when I hit about 11, I started drinking. Um, and when I started to drink, I started to know, like, you know, like how a lot of kids, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and a lot of kids, we'd go to the college woods, the Swarthmore College woods, and we would drink. But I would notice that, you know, kids, you know how we would kind of mix liquor from our parents' liquor cabinets, and it would taste really bad. But other kids would just have a couple of sips, and they'd be done, and I would just guzzle it all. And I was 11. Mm -hmm. So okay. let me interject there for a second. So you were, you were, so you were with your birth parents until you were five. 
And then, well, I'd say basically six, basically six. So until you were six, and what happened that you had to leave your birth parents' home? Um, well, they, my my adopted, I mean, my real parents, um, they were divorced when I was one. Okay. So the environment wasn't really that great. And then, you know, my mom was, she was, um, she was, you know, uh, pregnant when she was twenty and had a baby at twenty one. She was very young. Um. Now, I didn't feel this way back for many years. This is over years of understanding. But um, she was young, and she was still partying a lot, and she hung out with a lot of bikers. Uh, you know, her boyfriend was uh, uh, in the Warlocks. Uh, and, you know, my dad wasn't in the picture. And so, you know, she was just um, on a different kind of lifestyle, and I don't think that she was doing a very good uh, job of – she wasn't prepared to raise somebody. Okay. Or a baby, or a kid, whatever, you know. Um, I, I was also a really, really bright kid. I could read well past my age. Um, you know, I was very excited about school um, until that kind of just got, I don't know how to explain it. They just sort of killed my drive. They killed my, they killed my desire to be anything. They just crushed it. They just crushed it. Your bird parents. Uh, no, my, my adopted parents. Okay, your adopted parents. Okay. They really finished that off. They, like, really... Losing my parents... Losing my mom was, like, an undermining thing. But when I got to my adopted parents and, like, I kind of resigned myself to, like, okay, my mom's gone. And sort of ready to, like, try to do something. They just crush it. They just crush Anything that I wanted to do, they just... Just beat into your head that you were nothing, you were garbage, you were shit, you weren't smart, you weren't going to be anything, just shut up, sit in the corner, don't do shit, you know, be quiet, better seen, not heard, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, did they ever say why they adopted? I grew up in the era of tough love, so there was a lot of that type shit. Okay, so it was a tough love, it wasn't that they didn't really want you there, or they had ulterior motives, it was just that they were like, you need tough love to get better. I think that a lot of I, I mean, it's a valid question, but um, they weren't, I, I think that they weren't well. I didn't even know until many, many years later that actually they had adopted a child before me and the mother came and took her back. Oh. I, found that out, I found that out from the neighbors across the street. I actually found that out from the neighbors across the street when I was uh, older. Um, so there were some issues, um, I think, with their ability to parent as well. And I think they just had a very rigid upbringing and they it carried over to both of them. And, um, but then again, too, like I said, I, I don't, you know, as I got older, I don't entirely put that on them. Um, I, I you know I was a very, very violent kid. Like, and that's no like exaggeration. Like I, I was so angry and so frustrated and, you know, the stuff that had happened to me already by the age of eight, there's just no way you're coming out of that normal. Yeah, the trauma. It's just not, and then it also on, on top of that, you have trauma that's not being it's not being dealt with. It's yeah. just like sitting there and it's like stewing inside you, and you have no avenue. So you know that the alcohol and the drugs, early drugs, are 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 sort of muting that. And then when you're not doing that and you're you know being told what to do, like the, the most minute like example of authority in my direction would get a hurricane of problems you know mm-hmm. so, it, so it, it was very hard to read so, it was very hard to read so aggressive physically aggressive with adults and 
just not wanting to to uh, to listen to anybody because you were just so hurt. It was hard to trust people. Absolutely, you know, Absolutely. Trauma, trauma place. And then at eleven, you're saying, okay, at this point, you know, when people are okay. experimenting. Yeah, Hang oh, on. sorry. Can you hear me now? Um, yes. Yeah. So when you were okay, good. So when you were eleven, people were saying, "Hey, you know, uh, they're they're now experimenting with drugs," and you say, "Okay, I started drinking, but more to cope." You're like, "Okay, everyone else would stop drinking," and you're like, "I'm going to keep drinking." Yeah, I'm like, um, like let's let's hey. get in. But I okay. don't think either that, like, I don't think there was so much at that time. Like, obviously, you know, at 11, I didn't recognize, obviously, oh, damn, maybe I'm an alcoholic or, you know, you don't know these things. And mm-hmm. uh, so, like, um, uh, like, how can I put it? I, I guess, you know, it just became a, a progression as addiction does. And these, there were un undealt with mental health issues because a lot of what people were, were, were trying to approach the mental health issues with were like, you know, um, like I, I grew a, a music that I associated with a lot was heavy metal. <laughs> and so you know, I had my hair long and I had the black clothes and I had all that stuff. So a lot of people would try to therapy that. And there really wasn't anything wrong with that. That was my escape. Um, but what was a problem was... Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Something crazy is at my phone. People keep trying to text me, and it's like I already told people don't text me now. <laughs> but people do what they want. Um, but anyway, so, um, like, how can I put it? Yeah, they tried to give therapy to, like, how I looked on the outside and not what was going on on the inside. So, yeah, so they were trying to patch it with a band-aid. It's like, let's address your behaviors. Let's address what, you, what you're trying to do. They're not even addressing my behaviors. They're, like, trying to address, like, what shirts I'm wearing and what clothes I'm wearing and, like, why am I wearing shirts in black? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But that's, like, that becomes too, like, like, uh, like your defense at your wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I didn't want to be approachable. I wanted you to just basically leave me alone. You know, so mm-hmm. it's hard to... It's hard to to, to dig at the issues and and to find out what's wrong with someone when there's no, you just gotta be like therapy has to be a give and take, and you know it, it it's it, we work together in therapy. That's how we get better. And you know if you're not forthcoming, then no one can help you. Um, unfortunately, I didn't learn that for about twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people sometimes people come into uh, my office and they think I'm psychic. They show up and say, what do you want me to do today? And I'm like, oh, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you know, That's it's like, what I'm I did with you too, right? That's kind of what I did with you too. <laughs> but, um, but I've been around the block a few times, so I, 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 know, I know what to do. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So then you, said that you were trying therapy, but it wasn't working because they were, right. you had and your walls you know, up and then they were trying to come at the, at, at the wrong perspective. I mean, I think it was a combination of, of, bad parenting, um, bad therapy, and a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, a, and, 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 you know, like, like in my drug, really where there was a problem too was that the, dr- the drug use and the anger, like they basically became a couple. So it's kind of like they were dating <laughs> and they walked hand in hand with everything they did. So, you know, 
I'd get angry, and the way to calm the anger was to get high. And, you know, um, there, there became times where my temper was really something that could have got me put away for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. It was really dangerous. And, um, you know, I don't live my life like that now, but, um, or I probably wouldn't be sitting here free to talk to you. But, um, uh, you know, anger is a, uh, it, it's a, it, it, it's kind of like drugs. It's, it's a fake, it's a fake relief. It, it's not yes. real because nothing's getting dealt with. It's just exploding. Yes. And, um, so nothing's getting solved. Yes, I always tell my patients it's a secondary emotion. Like when you have the anger, there's always something underneath there that's usually you feel vulnerable or um, you feel weak. And and then until we can deal with that, that anger is going to stay there because it makes you feel stronger. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think you know it, there's there's healthy ways to to deal with that, and there's unhealthy ways to deal with that, and. As there is with anything, any kind of emotion, and um, even good emotions overdone can be bad yes. for you. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, I, it's sort of like people that like get addicted to love. You know, love is a great thing. Unfortunately, you know, you just have to make sure it's the real thing. <laughs> but but um, people throw that word around a lot, and they're not really sure what it means. But um, uh, you know, I I I like. My, my drug use escalated into really, really hard drugs. Uh, you know, free base. I was hanging around with guys that were... I took my... my Well, to backtrack for a second, I took my adoptive parents to court and became an emancipated minor when I was 16. An emancipated minor when you were 16. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let me take a pause there. And then we're going to take sure. this brief break and then I'm going to come right back. Okay? Okay. All right. Sounds good. You're the ball. Meet Fred. Fred once felt stuck in a rut, and he had trouble connecting with other people. Then Fred read the book Path to Loving Yourself by Dr. Jessica Kersner. Fred found the book interesting and exciting. The down-to-earth approach that the book takes helped to increase his self-esteem. Now, Fred spends less time feeling bad, and he grew to first love himself. Eventually, he gained the capacity to connect with others. You too can benefit from the path to loving yourself by Dr. Jessica Kirshner. Get your copy for only $9.95 from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. That's Path to Loving Yourself by Dr. Jessica Kirshner. Get up on your signed copy at healingaxcoach.org. Hello? Hi, Rick. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So you said 16. So you go through all this and you've already had enough experience for, I mean, for any adult at a lifetime at the age of um, by 11. And now you get to 16 and you've had, you know, you, you lost your biological mom. You've been in uh, adopted plate. I mean, in foster homes and that wasn't good. And you were in physical abuse and different yeah. abuse and then you get adopted and then, you know, you go through the emotional place of you think this could be different, but due to your trauma and their issues, it doesn't work out. Not a good situation. Starting mm-hmm. to drink and use other drugs. And then now you're 16 and he's like, OK, you I'm impressed that I mean, but the 16 like that's everything you say so far. You go, how did you get the strength to make it to 16? Like going through all that, you were hurting clearly because you say you were being physically abused, yeah, porn, and trauma. Yeah, I wasn't well. Um, 
I actually got I actually got put into like adult psych too, which was a mistake. I got put into adult psych when I was uh fourteen and fifteen at uh Hahnemann in, in Philadelphia, where mm-hmm. uh you know, I literally had got had to get in fist fights to get through the day. Um with big people. <laughs> with big people. Um but uh I had enough anger to, to handle that. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, once I, once I, um, the ironic thing actually is when I became an emancipated minor, um, my adoptive parents had a three-story house and I lived on the third floor of the house and paid them rent <laughs> for my job. Oh, wow. <laughs> so even though you got emancipated from them, you still stayed connected to them. I still lived. Uh, there was, but it was so weird because looking back at it, it's so bizarre. Like I, I would definitely not recommend it. Um, <laughs> I, I would come home, you know, and another thing is too that it was definitely a weird um, thing when I was growing up. Um, my, you know how I think when you hit about thirteen or fourteen, you start to sort of have like your first girlfriend and stuff like that. Uh-huh. My first girlfriend was a black girl, mm-hmm. and as many have been, <laughs> but and for, our, and for our listeners, you are. You said she was um, a black girl, so you are not black. What are you? Uh, no, I am a white guy. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, just so our yeah. listeners are clear. So you, yeah, cool, cool. you, you said in the 70s. Uh, I just, you know, just happen to think they're beautiful. But anyway, so yes. um, it's a whole other topic. But um, I, uh, I, I, um, when I would come to school with my girl, um, there was a lot of racial stuff that was getting said and dealt with. Um, but I think in a lot of ways that, um, that was one of the best things that helped me many years later, um, because it was a real important part of my character. I would, you know, I would defend my girl and, um, you know, I, I didn't have any kind of vision towards color or, or, you know, I was so desperate just to connect with people that I didn't see the things that other people normally get separated by. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I just wanted to connect with anybody and to just feel like good and to feel loved and to feel cared about. So it did like all those normal things that would trip people up or they would get poisoned by sort of. Mm-hmm. That never happened to me. <laughs> that is one of the benefits. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, I've always had friends and girlfriends of various different ethnicities and sexual orientations and all kinds of stuff. And I, I love them just for their character. As long as your character's good, I'm good with you. you know yeah. I mean? So this girl, yeah. this girl you dated, was she a positive influence on your absolutely. life? I mean, you had absolutely. the racial issues, but absolutely. so she was. Yeah, she was. She absolutely was. Her and I, um, I think the more that those, you know, I mean, it was just like an early relationship, his first real girlfriend, but yeah. It, it it was a it was an important it was an important um sort of how can I put it um like an important uh, uh seed that was sown into the character of who I am today. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, she that relationship helped build those character traits that were positive for you. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. But it also, it may it you had someone you connected to that wasn't attached to your trauma wasn't a part of trying to like, to like parent you. So you didn't have that um, resistance, right? There there was barriers on your side. Um, Absolutely. And so then that, that's the first, was that the first person you think that you were connecting with that you said, okay, you know, there are people that, you know, 
could love you, could 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 accept you or like how was that that relationship for you with connecting with people with all of this you had going on back then? Um, um, I think it was like it was like relief in the storm. Okay. You know, it was like a safe haven. There we you go. Know, um, it, it didn't have the 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 BS of the stuff that was going on at home. It, even if I, you know, uh, uh, was soon to be emancipated in a couple of years, like I, you know, I I was starting to see like I, I was doing, you know, looking back, whereas I was trying to break out and be myself and to break free of the pain and the change to that. But I also think that it was just that I was a kid and I was angry and I was frustrated and I was hurt. So I was just not knowing how to like use the proper avenues to do that. Mm-hmm. You know I, mean? I know. Um, but it, in, in, in hindsight, I would say that I was just trying to find myself, you know what I mean? And amidst all this madness. And when I was with, um, when I was with, oh, I'll just call her Dave. When I was with Dave, um, I would say that, you know, Dee was also a little more mature than her age as far as because she had some things going on of her own. So I think in a way, too, that I was kind of a safe haven for her, too. And, you know, um, I wasn't a guy that, you know, was going to care about her caller. And I was a guy that just liked her. And I didn't, you know, we were, you know, we were friends and then we were more than friends as that happens. But um we were discovering ourselves. We we're discovering being early teens. We we're discovering that you know we found somebody that cared about the other. So it was an important relationship uh, for both of us. I think you know I don't know what she'd say about it after all these years, but I, it was for me for sure. Yeah. Um, but that even that took a weird turn because like I got into I think when I became an emancipated minor, I eventually about seventeen I moved out of the house and I rented a room out of somebody else's house. Uh, another part of Delaware County uh, outside Philadelphia. And um, I ended up having a later relationship with the girl that I dated, that same girl, but also with her mom. Oh. (laughs) So that turned into some real crazy stuff, which, you know, we don't have to go into all that if you don't want to, but. Sorry, but sorry. Well, briefly to make it a brief, a brief thing it involved it involved a lot of drugs. It involved free base and cocaine. Okay. Involved these two women. So we'll just leave it at that. Okay. But um, it definitely wasn't healthy for her. It wasn't healthy for me. You know, I'm definitely it's not something not right about the mom because she was also my math teacher in high school. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty bizarre. So I mean, looking back, I felt like I was cool as hell. But <laughs> now, now I realize that that's not cool. But um. Back then, you know, I, I was just wild. I was crazy. Like, what? Basically, I was like, you know, uh, I was so wild that if it was criminal, if it was drugs, if it was girls, like those three in that order, like I was down for whatever. And I didn't have any kind of drive to live. Like, I didn't have any kind of drive to like. Even when I was like sixteen, seventeen, I figured I'd be dead by the time I was twenty-one, twenty-two. So I was just trying to get in as much as I could, as fast as I could, all the time. Okay, I'm on. I'm when I would wake up, I figured I'd be dead soon. So yeah, and the thing is, I have worked with uh, young adults and teens who, and and I'm not going to say it's the same story, but it's a they have come from a place of hurt, you know, and they're angry, they're frustrated. That darkness is just so heavy, and I hear a lot of them tell me the same thing. You know, they start 
um, in services or I, I sit with them and they say, I, I'm, there's no point in doing this. I'm going to be dead by the time I'm 21. I'm not going to live past 18 or 19. And if Absolutely. someone else doesn't kill me, I'm going to kill myself, you know, by what I'm yeah. doing, you know, with the drugs or with the behavior, or I'm going to make someone mad and they're going to kill me. You know, it's just however yeah. they feel, they don't figure they're going to live past that point. But I mean, from the time I was eight, when I, I'd say about six months after I got adopted to the time I was about 17, 16, 17, I would, you know, uh, sleep with a butcher knife under my pillow. I would, I never knew who was coming into the dark. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also had a, a real uh, obsession with, now I might like a scary movie, but back then I had real obsessions with horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of, I wouldn't say that it made me violent, but it, because I think that's such a cop out. <laughs> um, if somebody's going to be violent, they're going to be violent. I don't really think it takes much of a catalyst um, as far as like outside media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I definitely uh, became obsessed with like some pretty violent stuff, violent music, violent movies, violent, you know, it was like, I was a violent person. Well, no, I wouldn't. I think I would challenge that when you say, you know, if you, you can, it didn't make you violent. I think that I tell I always tell uh, anyone I work with when they're they like to delve into the darkness and they'll say, well, you know, I can relate to it. And I always say, you know, you can't delve into darkness without darkness touching you. And absolutely. I agree. I have definitely agree. Yes, it needs its own pattern. And so, yes, when you're you like you said, when you're watching those things, that that horror stuff and you're already in pain, you know, so you're already in pain and that stuff. You can you can just relate to the darkness and that darkness finds a way to stick. I, I, I agree with you, and I think, too, that, that um, like, now I try to, um, like, I'll watch a horror movie, I like a good scary movie, but um, I get a different kind of enjoyment out of it. I just like yes. a good scare. <laughs> um, but, but I don't, like, I try to limit, um, and I didn't used to. I used to watch a ton of horror movies and all that stuff, even after I, I got past some of this stuff. But I try to limit the amount of darker subjects mm-hmm. that, because I feel like, you know, darkness in, darkness out. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So even though I made the prior statement, I still feel that, that you know, I don't, like, I don't think I would sit there and say, watch, like, Halloween and then go out and, like, put on a mask and go kill somebody. It's not me. But I think that it just, you know, if you're obsessed with stuff of that nature too much, books, movies, whatever, it just creates a, a darkness that sits. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I, I can't afford to sit with too much dark even now today like because i'm not worried about that i'll hurt somebody else but i'll i'll definitely self-destruct and destroy me and i think that's important to say that just in general because sometimes people you know we can fool ourselves to think that okay you know i'm just watching it's just tv but or it's just a movie or it's just a song but when you're hurting and you have that pain already there that like you said it wasn't getting dealt with you weren't in the right therapy then you weren't really dealing with it you were just reactive you know, yep. and so it, yep. it it allows that darkness to grow. Whereas now you're like, okay, I can watch it a little bit. I can expose myself to it at some and, and in some measures. And you get to where when you've started dealing with that stuff, it's not the same because it's not feeding that darkness. Yeah, um, it, 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 very much so. I agree. Yeah, it's like it's not feeding it. Um, but what I do want to do is I want to get you to uh, I want to get you to kind of tell me uh, right after we take this break. I really want to come back and we say I want to talk about. 
how when you were going through this, um, how you were able to just how you approach day by day. And there is I mean, because I think, you know, you have a lot of young adults that are going through this or even just even uh, uh, like grown people who are in the same mental place you were in that emotional place of pain and hurt and darkness and it's like how did you approach every day because for you're in a situation you didn't have really many people to go to you know and then when you look at the adults that were brought into your world they either took advantage of you or they hurt you as well you know and so it's like very much you how did you push through that? And so I want to talk about that right when we come back. So I'm going to take this break and then we come back. I want you to, I really want us to say, like talked about that to the listeners to say, Hey man, you know, how do we approach every day back then? Because you had some strength there because from six, from six to 17, even, I mean, even now 50, but at this point, you're just like, I mean, you're in the place where someone was supposed to be taking care of you. You were a kid, you know, and, you basically were doing this on your own. It's like, how did you make it every day? Like what? Like, I was just kind of flying by, <laughs> like just like just like learning things, discard. But we'll talk about when you come back. Yeah. OK, so we're going to take this break and we'll be right back. Sounds good. Have you lost a job, have a difficult relationship or money problems and life just feel overwhelming? Well, Sean Anderson said anybody who has ever struggled to plant his feet on the floor in the morning knows that life can be hard. It can be stressful. It can be overwhelming. But each of those negative, less optimal feelings immediately takes a backseat to the inspirational power of hope. It can be difficult, though, to have hope despite what you see every day. So when you feel this way, remember, hope is the emotional state which promotes the belief in a positive outcome. So let's shift that emotional state. Think all things pass with time. You have been through challenges before and will come out of this one. Lean and talk to friends, pastor, your family, or your therapist. Get a positive word. Remind yourself of the good things. I'm Dr. Jessica Kersner with your Heal Knack Dr. K's Focus Me Minute. Catch me at Heal Knack Dr. K at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or email me at focusmeminute at gmail. All right, Rick, and we're back. Um, uh, so I wanted to um, bring it all together for everybody today and uh, and talk about you know, just how did you make it day to day? Like if there was so much here going on and I know you were hurting and there's a, you know, you're hurting, you're, you're reacting out, you know, you're, you're, um, you're hurting other people indirectly, not intentional, you know, you're hurting yourself, just trying to make it every day. And to me, there's some strength in there's, there's strength in how you made it, you know, and it doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you would say, like, oh, the therapist version of what we would say is, but the realness is that it takes, <laughs> you know, it, it takes a lot to just make it when you have this much pain and you have this much hurt. Um, and then people that you're supposed to trust just aren't trustworthy, you know, for lack of a better word, whatever it's reasons not. they have going on, you know, they're not perfect people. And I get that. And they have their reasons. But still, at the end of the day, you were a kid and the people that were supposed to be able to pull you up weren't able to do that. Um, and so my thing is, how did you make it? How did you, how did you approach that so that you were able to make it to 17 or to 18 when you thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to live. I'm not going to make it, you know? Well, it's weird. Yeah. Like, and it's a great, it's a great question. And I think one of the, uh, things, especially for anybody that is of that age that I was at that, 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 you know, area, especially the, 
the early to the, you know, getting to your late teens, I think what's really, really important to remember is that you matter, that you are important as an individual. Um, and even though I felt like my circumstances were going to dictate the end quicker than would be popular with most people, I would also say that I always knew that I was a mm -hmm. fighter and I always knew that I had a purpose and I always knew that I was meant for something better. I was divided. You know, I was divided. The one side of me was like, you know, F it. I know I'm going down. I'm going to go hard. But then there was another part of me like, like that. I knew that one thing I never didn't have was love and empathy for others mm -hmm. because I knew what it was like to suffer. And I think it's important for, especially for, for, you know, young adults. Um, and the world is a thousand times worse than what I was growing up with. Um, I think that it's really important to identify with what, what moves you, what you love, what, what is exciting to you. Um, and to not let people devalue you. You know, it's very important to know that you have value. You, you have to find that. And it's hard to do at that age. Um, nonetheless, it's, it's vital. How did you, how did you um, know that you had value? Even when, like you said, you divided, how did um, you say, you know what? I have value. How did you, how did you, how were you able to communicate that to yourself when you still at some point were able to war at that part that's like, there's no point in being here, you know? Then, well, that was my struggle. That those two, those, the dichotomy of those two personalities is a struggle. And um, I think that um, for me, I knew that there, one thing that it was just almost like a common sense thing to me for myself was that I knew that there was no way you could go through the things that I was going through and not be a survivor. Okay. You know, there was no way that there are other kids. Now, when you're, when you're experiencing that life and you're going through that, you feel like you're the only one. It seems like all your friends have the greatest lives and everything is great and their parents love them. And, which isn't, I'm sure, always the case. You don't know about what's going on behind their closed yeah. doors. But my, I mean, it was so bad in my house that that other kids' parents actually set up bank accounts for me so I could stay somewhere else and have a room somewhere else so I wouldn't have to be in my oh, house. Wow. I mean, that's how bad it was. You know, um, when I was a kid uh, adopted, I actually, through some of the arguments that we had in the house, my adopted parents actually kicked me out in the middle of the winter and I was sleeping on a park bench and had to make appointments to come to the house to get winter clothes. Oh, wow. Like, that's how insane, like, a world I lived in. It was like there was no reason or rhyme to what was getting yes. done. And the more they pressed, the more angry I became instead of, like, somebody just saying, yo, could somebody put the brakes on this? So it's very important for a, a kid to have identity. You have to have something to hold on to. And even if it's like something as at the time as as my new as like a hobby, there's um there's actually a a, a girl that hits me up on Instagram. I, I'm not going to say her name, but she hits me up on Instagram and she's younger. And I went through a whole discussion with her um, about, you know, the trouble she was having and um, about identifying about her sexuality at home. And, um, and and I told her never lose sight of 
that she's important, that she matters and who she is, is, you know, she doesn't have to validate to anybody, even her parents, who she is. She's her own woman. She's growing into becoming a young woman and she has a right to be who she is. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that you have a right to live. And what what I'm hearing you say when you say that is kind of what healing acts is all about. Like that's what, what I try to tell people every day is that, that your identity, right? When you, uh, if you don't know your self-concept, your self-esteem, you know, your self-esteem is poor, your self-concept is low, then you you don't have a, sure. you don't have a concept of why am I here? You know, why do I exist? Why is there a point to life? You know, and then if you don't have that, then you don't know your purpose. And what you're saying is, I knew I still had a purpose and I knew that I had value. So your self-worth, that self-concept was, this has to matter for something like this has to be, this has to exist for something, you know? Yeah. Like I felt like you couldn't possibly be going through all this for nothing. You know what I mean? Like, like I knew that, and listen, part of what helps me too, is like in the same way that looking back, I probably thought like some of the, um, some of the movies and stuff was too much. Uh, To be quite honest with you, the music I listened to probably was a big part of saving my life. Mm -hmm. It really was. Um, you know, I grew up. I grew up in an era uh-huh. of heavy metal when it was really big. And the one thing that was like, you know, you can always pull negatives and yes, positives out of anything. And the one thing that I always got from that music was that I belong, and that it was always it was always music for people that were put down, criticized, kicked around, told they were freaks, weirdos, looked odd, all that stuff. So that was my people. That was my crowd, and I always belonged there. And so that music was very, very much a part of what yeah, you can alive. relate to it. You like this. Um, some yeah, I actually left a message. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm well, you're fine. sorry. You're go fine. ahead. Go ahead. I actually left a message um, <laughs> on uh, Ozzy Osbourne's page and he actually sent me a message back thanking me because I thank him for years of being the soundtrack to the music of my life. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and, <laughs> and it, cool. it is true because you do connect, you connect with that music and, and to me, it's like, even though when we're trying to pull you out that darkness, we'd want to say separate from it. But when you're stuck in it and you don't have anything else, if that is what is that is what made you say, OK, there's someone else that knows my pain, that understands and I belong, even if it's just in that, then that is the strength in that. You know, that is the place that says you do that until someone can give you something better. Right. You know, so it's like you could say now in hindsight, I'm just can't give up. What I've never been, um, whether it's been, whether it's been too bad, so experiences are never been clear. Oh man, you're breaking up and you're saying some really good stuff there. Uh, so could you say that again for me? You said that you find a reason. That's that's where we lost you. You said you have to find a reason to find a reason. Um, you have to find. A reason to to not quit you have to you have to push ahead you know what i mean um eventually became a point where i flipped over to i did i became where i didn't think i was going to live to i want to live okay. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and i can't i to be completely honest with you, i can't say when that happened it just was yeah. um when i turned you know when i turned 18 too i found my real parents um i found my birth parents so that's a whole nother issue but um, I wanted, that was sort of what motivated me to, I very, very much wanted to find my mom and find out why. 
And, you know, to this day, I didn't get all those answers. You know what I mean? So, you know, you're never going to get the answers you hope for. Sometimes the journey doesn't play out the way you hope for, as long as it plays out and the journey continues. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just never would quit. I would never, anytime somebody would try to put, you know, I got to a point where, you know, I had been abused and beaten and kicked around enough that I finally rose up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it took me quite some time, though, to to rise up in a positive way. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But you have to gravitate towards a reason. You have to have, you you know, you can't let them feed the fires of self-hatred, you know, um, and they will. They will. Those the, the people that are not not good for you. Sometimes your family is the worst kind of problem. You know, people have this image of like, oh, it's my mom, oh, it's my dad, oh, they love me. Not really, not always. And, you know, when, when you know, people will put these labels on you, failure, F up, screw up, or it'll come from your sexual identity. Or No, this is who you are and you're allowed to be. You have, you have a right to live. You have a right to be you. You know, you have a right to experience life in your own way. As a teenager, you're supposed to experience life as a teen. You're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to be excited. You're supposed to try new things and fail and fall and then get back up and dust yourself off and try something new and be better at it. You know, and you have to understand too, that, that obstacles are opportunities. You know, it's up to you. Is it an obstacle? Is it an opportunity? What do you want it to be? You know what I mean? It's either a wall or it's something for you to climb over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What's it going to be? You know, and and I got that. So, and, uh, and you said that the music helped you back then to connect. So you were like, okay, I belong. If not anywhere else, these people say I belong because they understand where I'm at. And, and that means that, you know, like they've been there too. It wasn't, just that I it wasn't just that I belonged in that crowd. It was that I just belonged. Gotcha. Like I had a right to be me. You know what I mean? Like I could, yeah, sure. That was the music that, that fueled my, fueled my push, fueled my desire. But I didn't just think like, oh, I could be a rocker kid. Oh, I belong with the rockers. I just thought I belong and I have a right to live and I belong yes. in the world. Yeah. I mean, I have a right to stake my place and put my foot down. And- you know what I mean? And yeah, so in that case, then it could be a book. It can be a story. It can be a TV show. It can be anything. It's just that at this point, it was something that you said, I can relate to this. And that relating was the thing that kept you from saying, say that again. It could be you, Doc. It could be anybody. It can be a friend. It can be a book. It could be a movie. It could be it could be something you see. It could be just somebody says something to you and it strikes you right. You know what I mean? Um, I think the great thing about the reason music works so well when we talk about the key, you know, to fit in that lock, the reason music for you know fits so well is because, you know, music is usually music, poetry, creative avenues are usually more, you know. Uh, widespreading there's usually people from a lot of different crowds like a lot of different music yeah. you know if you saw me if you saw me you would never think like oh wow rick listens to actually is bonded by blood but he's also listening to rita Ora's new album you know what i mean you would never think that mm-hmm. but yes that's what i'm doing i, I you know I, I i've experienced different things and i like different things and you know that that's fine by the way that's why i find a little Gotcha. Well, uh, I really, really, really appreciate your story. And we're going to do the second part next week for everybody that we can go from what happened after you found your parents 
until now where you're 50 years Okay, and we're back. And I, I lost you for a second there, but uh, I'm getting used to this. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but uh, I really, really, really loved everything that we've heard so far because you know we, you, like I said, you're 50 years old, and we haven't even gotten to half of your life yet. And I mean, there's so much here that, like you said, people can relate to, that people can feel like they belong with, that because they say, okay, someone else is hurting and not just even teenagers, young adults, you have adults that now, like you said, the world is a whole lot different and you have people that are suffering right now as adults and they're trying to find help in the system and they're trying to find help with people. And it's just not what they need. Um, at all. At all. And it, it's at not all. at all what they need. And uh, my goal has always been to shine. What they don't need. <laughs> yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's more what they don't need. They don't need. And the one thing that I really love here is that we we talked about a lot of the things that for me, when you talk about the identity and uh, your identity is what um, what we kind of deal with with healing acts and that, you know, if you don't, you know, you you can't figure out your purpose in life or you can't live a happy life and a, and a truly happy life if you don't start with identity. Right. And, you know, God has said in the in the Bible, and I don't know. Uh, where your beliefs are but you know this is a god and sykes uh, uh podcast and but it's the thing cool. that god, yeah he says in matthew um six uh verses 22 and 23 which is like the foundation for healing acts that the light of the body is the eye which is your perspective and you talked about perspective and he said and if if your eye be be single then that whole body should be full of light so meaning if you look at the positives you know if you can if you can see the world without that anger, that, that frustration, that hurt from your past, then your whole, your whole body will be full of that light. And God is, a, you know, he is the light of the world, he says. But, they said, but then if, you know, your yeah. eye is darkness, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. But if you don't, let's, you think you're light, if you think you're full of light, but it's actually darkness, how great is that darkness? And for me, that's the whole concept here with Healing Acts and what you're, what you're talking about here is because you were hurting. And like you said, at that point, you don't know. So that darkness, you didn't know it, even though you knew you were hurting, you didn't know how big it was, you know, because you're, oh, you're just yeah. trying to make it. And a lot of times dealing with to, to move that darkness out of the way, we have to start talking about it, right? You have to go to that painful place of saying, like you said, we can't talk about the clothes I'm wearing. We can't talk about the black shirt. We have to actually talk about my heart that's full of this pain you know, my memories, the, the things I lived through and everything that you have here says, you know what, like I, we need to deal with the things I've been through. Like this stuff matters Like that, this being, being abused, going to a home where I expected to, I expected and said, okay, this might be good for me. And it wasn't. And then just trying to heal from those things, just try, well, or trying to make it and, not necessarily doing it the right way, but at the same time, to me, I would say it still is a way because you still made it. And another day of life is another chance, right? And Absolutely. so if Absolutely. someone says, someone can argue with me and say, yeah, but you shouldn't say that they can do it this way. And I always say, for me, until you can get the right help. So you were trying to get help, but you had the wrong help. Until you can get the right help, for me, you just got to make it, you know? Look, and I, Can I throw something in here? Sir, throw it in. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say this. It's like it's like people that they're getting uh, off drugs or whatever. 
they, you know, there's, there's the rooms, there's NA, there's AA, there's, there's uh, meditation, there's this, there's that, there's books, there's self-help, there's all kinds of things. And different people find sobriety or getting or, or clean time, various different methods. But as long as you find a method, you know, whatever your method is, however you become, see, you want to, you want to cross over from becoming a survivor to living. You want to cross over yeah. from existing to living. Yes. Big difference. Big difference. Yes. Yes. And you and I were talking about that the other day with not exist, just existing, but living. And we're yeah. going to talk about a lot of that on the next one. So next week, uh, for all my listeners out there, next week, we're going to have Rick back and we're going to talk about from when he was 18 and he found his real parents up until now and uh, get some more um, of Rick's life here and some tools for how to make it and how to push through that darkness and get into the light. Because as you heard Rick say here, guys, he was able to at one point stop um, just making it day by day and saying that he wasn't going to live to wanting to live. And that's a huge thing to say that just because today you might think you don't necessarily know if you want to live or you're in that dichotomy with yourself where I may think, you know, all this pain, all the things I have been through, what's the point? And then the other side says this has to be for something. And that's that constant battle daily where it's just it's a place of turmoil to at some point you find or you say, OK, I want to live and I have a purpose and and I know what that purpose is now. And I know that this matters. And there's so much here. And I'm so thankful to you, Rick. Thank you for being on today. Um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity, Doc. Yes. So yes. Yeah, so next week we're going to talk to Rick again, guys. And so, um Rick, thank you very much, guys. Uh, please check out uh, Healing Dr. K on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're going to have, uh, there's a picture up there, Rick, and you can see his uh, beautiful face, and he has a great personality. <laughs> if you guys want to connect oh, with him, we'll see where I know if you guys want to connect with him, I'll get to where you guys can send some stuff into uh Send some stuff into me, and we'll have Rick back on, and he can answer some questions, uh, some viewer questions. Anytime. Uh, Anytime. Go ahead. All right. And so thank you. And then we will see you guys next time. Uh, have a good night. Take care.